Hey, everybody, from the Data Institute at the University of San Francisco, this is Robert Clements. Today, I'll be speaking with Shan Wong. Shan is an assistant professor at the University of San Francisco, and she teaches exploratory data analysis, visualization, and statistical modeling as part of the Master of Science and Data Science program. She was formerly an assistant professor in the mathematics department at Northeastern Illinois University, and she has a PhD in statistics from Purdue University. All right, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. So let's, yeah, let's just dive right in. Um, so I, you know, I was hoping to hear a little bit more about basically how did you decide that, you know, the data science field was what you wanted to be in. Right. So I think um, I took the path of learning mathematics in undergraduate, and then I switched to statistics. That sounds uh, familiar. That's, right, that's in my graduate school. Too. And I, like, after a while, I switched to data science. So you can see the path of, like, I'm looking for applications. Of course. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so I think it is a gradual kind of change, uh, how I started very theoretical study, but then I'm looking for something more applied. But I think I made my decision pretty early on that I want to work for uh, academia. Okay, yeah, I was, yeah. was going to ask about <laughs> that one, but... Right. Oh, yeah, keep going. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, so that is why uh, my first job in Chicago was also a, a tenure track faculty position teaching right. statistics. Um, it was mainly a, a teaching school. Uh, so my goal was kind of to get my students ready for the job market. Uh, which I, I think you could imagine as well that the traditional mathematics or statistics courses may not serve that purpose very yeah. well on the market today. So that is uh, when I started to think about creating a data science program actually for the university I was working for. Okay. And I started to gather information. Um, and then, you know, after reading all the information, stuff like that, and it's a... Uh, from my understanding, a combined field of uh, mathematics, statistics, and the computer science, I got really interested. And at the same time, I realized I couldn't create the program okay. <laughs> at that university got because it. of we don't have enough resources for the teaching part. Right. Um, yeah, that's when I started to look for a change and start teaching in data science okay. at the University of San Francisco. Right. Yeah, so that was yeah, that was going to be one of my next questions. But before I get there, um, let's go back a little bit to like how did you? So you said you always kind of knew you wanted to stay in academia. So was that um, for teaching? You know, I mean, you, you prefer teaching over research. I mean, did you even know this back in undergrad? Um, good question. No, <laughs> I think <laughs> most people didn't. Right. Uh, in the beginning, I think. Uh, uh, to, to be completely honest, I love the working style of uh, e-academia. I love the freedom. Mm -hmm. um, and in the beginning, I thought it would be more research-driven. And I still remember uh, in my graduate study, I, I heard my professor told me that, you know, you should work for university because you are paid to do whatever you love to do. <laughs> like nobody's going to put a restrict on that. And yep. that's for research, right? So I think that was a very attracting to me. Uh, so I started uh, working for university, but then I, I really fell in love in teaching and education. That became a very big part. And I think everybody working in this field need to have that motivation of 
loving to help students and loving to see that students being successful after your classes and stuff. Yeah. So that became a big uh, drive, I think, in my career. Okay. Yeah, I feel like we both had really similar paths. I also started in math and wanted to do something more applied. So I did stats, PhD. The difference is I wasn't sure if academia was for me. Like, I yes, I had heard, like, my advisor all in graduate school also told me the same thing. He's like, you know, this is a really fun job, and, you know, this is probably what you should do. And I wasn't sold on it. Um, and, I mean, I did a postdoc afterwards just to kind of test the waters of, you know, doing more research and, you know, quickly realized it, it wasn't for me. Um, but I liked teaching um, as a TA, you know, and so e eventually I came around, you know, now here I am, you know, like whatever, 10 years later back in academia and m for teaching, right? Like that's, that's also what I wanted to focus on. Um, probably, I'm guessing, probably for very similar reasons as you. So, Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So you mentioned, um, you know, the, the program that you wanted to start at your last university and... How how long ago was that when you when you moved from there to to here? Right. So I graduated in 2015, and I spent about three three to four years. Okay. At yeah, the previous university. I joined the USF at 2019, so it has been another three years. Okay. Since so then. at that time, 2019 or so, um, I think there's pro there were probably a few other kind of these professional masters in data science programs around the country or maybe even in other countries. So what was it about the University of San Francisco's program that attracted you? I think uh, at that time, it was still rising. Like people, uh, okay. universities were trying to develop programs yeah. in data science and those existing ones, um, I could see that the how should I say, there, there are two kinds of styles. Uh, one was to follow in the very traditional statistical education. Mm -hmm. They build it under the Department of Math and the Stats, and they teach some really theoretical courses that already exist within their department. And another style is more like a boot camp or certificate style. They try to make it really short, and they only provided a few courses uh, focused on the core of the oh. vacation. Okay. Um, I feel like USF back then was standing in between, like which was a pretty perfect combination from my point of view. The, the theoretical courses go into a good depth, and of course, we also offer a lot of applications, uh, computer science courses, and the internship practicum. Uh, I think that is because uh, University of San Francisco started this program very early, mm -hmm. uh, one of the earliest, yep. more than 10 years ago. And they had the time, they had the experience to shape it in a way that is really a good combination of everything. Yeah, like I... I remember hearing about this program probably seven years ago or so, which is kind of unusual because I'm not out there like, you know, researching different, you know, masters in data science programs. You know, it was just something that that popped up because of the practicum, because I was working at a company that was doing one of these internships with a different university, not with the USF. It was with a different university, but we were, you know, the company I was at was United Healthcare. We were doing one of these partnerships with a student team at the Southern University. 
it was an analytics program, so not really data science, but you know, it was similar enough. And it was through that um, partnership that I had heard of these other universities and USF came up, of course, the most often as having like a really strong program. And so I remember uh, at United Healthcare, the team that I was working with on this partnership with the company um, was trying to develop a partnership with USF. I'm not sure if it ever happened. I mean, I left the company, you know, soon after that. Um, but I think that's just kind of, you know, telling that even that long ago, this program was was already, you know, pretty popular. Right. No, you definitely knew it before I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. So um, well, let's talk a little bit more about the program here. So I think you touched upon like what makes it maybe different than others, sort of the academic versus applied and what makes it different than the boot camps, which is it is longer and it goes more in depth and it goes more in depth on the theoretical side. What are the other things you would say make this program stand out? No, you mentioned, of course, uh, the internship practicum. Um, I, I'm not aware of many other programs of providing the same opportunity yeah, and uh, maybe something pretty small but important to me is the connection between students and between students mm. and the faculty I definitely have not observed that kind of connection uh, in other academic pro programs yep. um, no I'm just surprised by like I teach about 100 students every cohort and I think I know most of them pretty uh, well. Yeah, that is that is surprising. I think like a lot of faculty cannot say the same thing for the students they have taught. Yeah, and it's is, and I think the relationship of each year go through a, a path of how in the beginning they don't trust you that much, and they start to get used to your personality and your style. They start to trust you more, and in the end, they they actually rely on you on a lot of things. So I, I really appreciate that kind of connection, which is pretty unique in this program. I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but that's definitely very important to me. No, yeah, no, that's perfect because, I mean, I've been here for one month, right? So I, <laughs> right. I just rejoined academia from industry about a month ago. Um, and I've already noticed that about this this program. You know, it's... Um, I've met a lot of the students, even though I'm not even teaching a class yet, um, and all of the sort of student support that this program gives, you know, which I think is, um, well, it's definitely unusual for any academic master's program. Right. And even the bounding between the students, that's also very impressive because it is under a, a more of a competitive, I think, environment where they compete in class and compete in the practical yeah. matching and stuff right. like that. But they develop such deep friendship in the end of the program because they went through everything together. Right. And I'm a, I was an international student, and so I could speak from that experience that for example, as a Chinese student, it was hard for me to uh, make friends, you know, with uh, domestic students or students from Europe mm -hmm. and here and that. But definitely here, I think everyone tried to make friends with each other. And you can see kind of the merge of cultures. Uh, that's another thing. I think this the culture in this uh, program definitely bring everyone together. Yeah, yeah. No, I can definitely see that. And, I, and I've also seen that you 
you encourage that as well. Like you encourage, really encourage, kind of push the students to, you know, step out of their comfort zone and, and mix up a little, you know, in the study groups and on the projects. Right. So while talking about students, um, I mean, you've, so you've been here for a few years. So I think you've gone through a few cohorts at this point. You know, what type of student have you seen um, comes in here and I guess really thrives? I think it's a very good question. Um, it, it, this type of question is always from two different perspectives. One is what kind of students are quote-unquote better fit for the program, and the other one is how the program is designed to try to welcome everyone. Okay. Uh, so from the program's perspective, I think the setup of the program is trying to make most students who come here to be successful, and which is true from our graduation rate and mm -hmm. the uh, the job offer rates and stuff like that, yeah. right? We will see like most students were successful in the end of the program. Uh, and we had people struggle for sure. Um, but I, I think we're trying to work on that to make more people to be successful and less people to struggle. And what type of students could be a better fit for the program? It's, it's not about the background. It's, about the, it's more about motivation, for sure. Okay. Um, you're motivated to know what you want because this is short. This is only 12 months, and you do not have that much time to wander around and think about, oh, is this a good fit for me? Like before you figure that out, uh, you're already graduating, right? right? So definitely the students who are very motivated uh, by getting into the field and the students who are competitive in a good, in a positive way, that they, they believe themselves that they can be successful in the program, therefore they could be successful on the job market and in the company they're going to work for. Right. So less less about the kind of technical skills, right? Definitely. It's, it's just more about, yeah, the motivation. I, I Every year I interview students uh, for the mission, and I definitely had students during the interview that I had doubts because mm -hmm. they come from backgrounds that are not related to computer science, statistics, <laughs> mathematics, right. and they did not have experience um, and they struggled in boot camp but a lot of them became like top students in the later half of the program and yeah. they found really nice jobs so I definitely cannot really say the background would make a significant difference here is more about how well they adapted to the style of the project uh, of the program and uh, how much they're motivated okay but I imagine that, you know, some of the students who may struggle early on, um, like we were talking about earlier, if they start forming these connections with other students and with the professors, too, I, I mean, I imagine you're, you know, you and and Diane and, and everybody else are trying really hard to, you know, keep the students on track and, and keep them motivated and let them know that their doubts are normal but you know that they've got what it takes right right exactly supporting group is very important no matter it's from your fellow students or from your faculty or someone you know that work in the field oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah definitely so um well let's talk about the the classes i mean you so you have a stats background 
you got here before I I did, so you got all the stats courses that <laughs> you get you get to teach them. I'm sorry, you can have some. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's all right. Um, but yeah, can you talk about uh, what courses you teach and I mean anything about you know anything about like your your teaching style and yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, I teach two statistical courses, uh, linear regression and the time series. So mm-hmm. both are pretty typical models yep. in statistics. And I started teaching uh, EDA and visualization about a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, I would say my teaching styles for different courses are very different. <laughs> Because I need to think about which stage the students are and mm. um, the connection of the current course to other courses right. and applications later. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, do you mind if I go into the details of each one? Um, no, no, that's fine. <laughs> so, but before we go there, um, right. you mentioned they d- the courses depend on previous courses. And it's not like typical prerequisites that you would have at another university. I mean, this is very much a pipeline right. uh, that each course builds off of the previous one, right, throughout right. the entire year. Okay. And and the ones in the future. Like, oh, yeah, if, right. if this one is going to become a foundation yep. of the next course, yeah. But yeah, go f- feel free to go into yeah. each one. Yeah, sorry for the <laughs> details, because uh, EDA and the visualization is the first course in boot camp that everybody takes. Okay assuming that people don't have background in anything. So it could it is a combination of teaching them how to start with Python, like Pandas, NumPy, mm-hmm. and, this, and also from the market's point of view, how to design visualization plus from data, okay. and at the same time training their programming skills when they're doing that. Hmm. So I try to make it fun. Uh, because the boot camp is a very competitive, is is very stressful. So I'm hoping this type of course could give them some breathing space uh, to be creative. That's I, from my point of view, what visualization is about. Right, me too. And um, it's probably my favorite thing to teach, like when I have in the past. But are there students who um, struggle with it because of that creativity aspect. I mean, not everybody's artistic, you know, and some people just have problems with um, with visuals, you know. And right. Um, I I would say it's a creativity within a frame, <laughs> uh, which I provide the okay. borders. Okay. Uh, <laughs> good, good. Yeah. So I give them examples of, of course, a lot of examples and a lot of principles of the focus of design okay. uh, to details, like how you design the fonts, the text, the, the focal point of a plot. Uh, interesting, though, because I found myself has a pretty consistent style. Yeah. Uh, that's the that's lack of a crea- creativity oh. <laughs> from my side, but, you know, I can't help it. Right. Yeah. So EDA visualization is the boot camp course? Okay. Right. Now what's, what's next? So then we move on to um, linear regression, which is uh, the statistical course in module one. And that course, I designed it to be a very, very theoretical course. Uh, two reasons. First of all, I think linear regression is the opportunity for them to learn all the statistical inferences, mm-hmm. um, yep. which is very important. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, and another uh, another thing is it is the beginning point for machine learning models. Uh, so I, I want them to build a very solid a theoretical foundation. So when they in when they're learning predictive models in the future, they don't have to worry too much about that part anymore. Right. So that is why I make it very theoretical, but um, not as much applied. Okay. Yeah. Um, after that, we move into time series analysis in module two. Um, traditionally, time series models is a very, again, uh, theory-heavy statistical course. Uh, but in the past few years, I have changed a lot uh, of the materials for this course. Because I, I, I found that before, people only taught those ARIMA, you know? Yeah, yep. Uh, ETS, mm -hmm. this type of thing. But And a lot of people are still using it. I, ha I have to be fair about sure. that. Uh, but I start to feel like it does not really serve the purpose of tech companies who have a, a big data problem. Yeah, right. Right. So uh, people might not know, but time series is actually a very developing field uh, in statistics and machine learning. Mm -hmm. Is because of the difficulties of predicting the future, you know, <laughs> like yeah. who could do that? Yeah. Uh, so that is why I keep an eye on the developments in the field and try to kind of bring it to the class. Uh, in 2017, Facebook, back then Facebook, uh, created uh, a profit. Yep. At, and then in 2019, they published a package called CATS, uh, which is kind of a comprehensive package to do uh, time series from the beginning to the end. And Uber also tried to work on uh, cross-validation in time series. Mm. Uh, so you can see that the people or those companies who are trying to develop methods <clears throat> matching the problems they're facing. So it could be just matching uh, their data, but I think it's very valuable for the students to know those developments in the field instead of just knowing like ARIMA. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And time series is one of those courses I mean, even as a stats graduate student, I didn't take, you know, it wasn't required. And I kind of wish it had been because I did have to sort of learn it on my own, so, which was which was hard. Oh, um, nice. I'll be interested to know what did you use exactly that you liked? Um, that I liked, uh, yeah, the simpler things, you know, like when everybody around me was going for LSTM and not understanding anything about what they were doing, <laughs> I was still... I was still going actually with the uh, ARIMA models. Um, I wasn't doing time series when when Profit came around, so I never got a chance to use it. And yeah, so it's it's actually been several years uh, since I had done any time series. So I don't know what's new out there. So I think you'll have to tell me. I see. Oh, interesting. No, I think people uh, a lot of times get fooled by the big names yeah. of like neural networks, you know. Uh, or like machine learning, but uh, I think people need to learn that different scope of data and the questions need to have different solutions. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily true that your neural networks will always, like LSTM always work better than a RIMA model, which is actually not true. I can right. share it's a not. paper yeah. that people compa compare those different models and the still doesn't come to a conclusion of which method is better. Right. Uh, but yeah. 
do you ever teach any um time like time series modeling but just by doing a regular regression or classification machine learning model where you're just getting really fancy with the features and maybe doing lagged features and that kind of thing i i only mention it exists okay because uh we, we spend a lot of time teaching linear regression, logistic regression, stuff like that, and I want to leave other predictive right. models in other courses. Yeah. I, I do mention the methods that exist that people use and the kind of pros and cons of each model mm -hmm. and for the students to choose themselves. Okay, got yeah. it. So, I mean, it's been a while since I've really taught in the classroom. You know, I mean, I did teach a few years ago, and my lecture was very just slide, the type of class I was teaching, it lended itself to just kind of slides, you know, and that's what I did. And then the last time I taught before that was, you know, 2011 or so. And I know that, you know, technology has changed a little bit since then. So like, what are some of the things that you use in the classroom? I might be the wrong person to ask oh, this okay. question. <laughs> uh, no, just because I think I do teach more theoretical and easier uh, stuff. So... And I, I made it very clear that for the very theoretical part, I use a whiteboard. Sure, yeah. And for the programming part, I use just a simple Python notebook. Okay, yeah. Uh, but even so, notebooks, like even for me, though, like yeah. in grad school, notebooks weren't weren't a thing yet. Um, so that was me. I mean, that was 10 years ago. Yeah, um, I mean, only slightly, uh, not fancy, but some... Uh, computer science background people don't do in notebook is that I, I co combine markdown pages yeah. with notebook to make it look a little bit nicer. Right. I think actually students really like that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't try to do too fancy. <laughs> no, yeah, whatever works, right? Yeah. It works. Okay, well then let's move on to, okay, after the students have taken your courses and have graduated from here and then they go off, you know, to get jobs. And I'm sure you've kept kept in touch with a few of them that have graduated previously. Are you noticing, you know, like the pros and cons? There are pros and cons to any career choice. Um, so what, what have you noticed as far as, you know, the data science industry, which is very broad and it can mean a lot of things and there's a lot of different types of roles you can have, but are there any sort of, you know, commonalities of, you know, the good and, and the bad? Mm. I think you actually mentioned exactly one thing people may not know before they enter this career is that there are a lot of different roles and responsibilities. And what they were expecting might be different from what they were getting at the end. R right, okay, yep. Yeah, so um, I think um, in the beginning, a lot of people get the excitement of working in the field because you work with data which means you're trying to solve problems for the company. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is excitement. But I also see a lot of people get bored or tired because uh, they keep doing the same type of job. You, you keep be building data pipeline. You yeah, keep right. like giving uh, summary tables. You do some plots. You don't get to the core of data science like machine learning engineer. So I, I do feel like... Uh, that is one thing about this field that in the beginning you might think is about just about building models. And when you start, you realize that's not what it is. Yep. So you need to keep changing your mind, your expectations, and looking for what you're really interested in and make the change. 
it's all about changing this field. You keep up with the technology. You keep up with your own mind. You you keep up with like the market change. So I think that is exciting and at the same times challenging for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I've I've noticed in just my brief conversations I've had with students so far that just the fact that there's you know data engineer, data scientist, data analyst. You know, BI analyst, machine learning engineer, <laughs> machine learning scientist. <laughs> exactly. And nobody knows how to define these. And mm-hmm. the problem is there is no real definition. I mean, you know, maybe data engineer you can kind of define, but once you get out of there and you're and you're doing analysis and deploying models and things like that, um, the definitions become fuzzy because they're different from company to company, right? Right. You know, even what you can do as a data scientist from company to company is a different can be different types of models you know in my last job it was it was machine learning it was all classification at some other company it's going to be recommender systems i've never done that i don't know how to build one really not a good one um so like you said constantly changing and learning and the good thing is uh, new data scientists today probably have a lot of freedom to explore that um as they you know get into their well, as they start grad school first, maybe they get a flavor of things here um, and then in their internship and then in their first job. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just for me, personal experience, I was really excited about machine learning at the beginning. And then by the time I trained my, you know, 100th model, <laughs> right, <laughs> running my same R code, you know, it's like I built my R code functions and then I just run right, that, just right. run those over and over again every time I built a new model. Right. You know, for me at least, it yeah, it got dull pretty quickly. So. That's what I hear a lot, actually. That that might be the biggest complaint I hear from pe- people working in the industry. That I keep running the same thing every day. But what I'm trying to say, like you started looking for changes, right? Yeah, it's the same thing for everybody. Uh, data science is a developing field. Still, I think it's rising a lot. And as you said, I think the the definitions for different roles will become more and more clear. So I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So so I think there's definitely opportunities there, but uh, you 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 need to come with the mind of embracing the changes. Right. I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess it's possible if you're one of those people who's resistant to change, you could just be happy. You could be happy doing that over and over again. I I, I always kind of. I'm always kind of against that mindset mm-hmm. because I feel like your career job is such a huge component of your life. I spend more time with my work than my kid, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so how happy you are, how satisfied you are, I think is something maybe fresh graduates don't think that much, mm-hmm. but you will start to realize that more and more uh, when you're getting older. So, yeah. No, I, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, I've left companies because of boredom before, and um, eventually, I yeah, I wound up here back in academia because like um, I needed, I needed a change. I wanted to do something that would make me happier. I didn't want to just have a job like this is just the job I do. I don't really like it. It's kind of boring, but I get paid a lot to do it. You know, I couldn't do that. Couldn't live like that. Yeah, don't be afraid of changes i guess that's the new thing nowadays yeah yeah (laughs) well and the good thing about today's you know job market is you can move around and it is not looked down upon as it used to you know it's like exactly exactly and uh 
slightly related to that topic, we have a students, a lot of students uh, switch to a software engineer role. So. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be something in common that you could consider as yeah. well. I mean, I know a couple of data scientists who switched into like technical product managing. You right, know, right, right. Product managers for these, you know, AI products, it helps if you're technical, if you got that background. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. You yeah. get a taste of a lot of things at work and yeah. then you can choose the yep. part that you're interested in. Yeah, definitely. A lot of opportunities. Well, as we wrap up here, um, any, I guess, any last advice for students out there who, you know, undergrad students who are kind of figuring, you know, trying to figure out what they should do, um, if they should get into the, you know, data science field, if it's something, you know, for them? Yeah. Um, as I mentioned before, I really think your background at undergraduate does not play a huge role here. Um, it's more about motivation and interest, which you might not know yet at undergraduate. So no matter which field you're getting into, I always encourage them to talk to someone working okay. in the field, no matter it's the professor of the major or someone actually taking that role in mm -hmm. a company, just reach out. Um, that will help them to know exactly what they're going to handle uh, in the future. And I think that is very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are actually really friendly. And so if you reach out to them and in, you know, asking questions, they'd be happy to help. Exactly. And even strangers, you just reach out to someone on LinkedIn. I think a big chance and like they will not reply, but one or two would, right? And you just need that otherwise from one or two people. That's enough. Yeah. Right. And I do think, I mean, definitely about the background, you know, your undergraduate background, like there are data scientists who were you know, art, psychology, sociology, I mean, political science, biology, you know, it, yeah, it really doesn't matter that much. Like, I think I just met somebody who has a, a music degree and is, you know, doing something with machine learning and music. I don't know. I don't know exactly what he's doing. I didn't understand <laughs> it, but, but yeah, it's like, if you've got that motivation and you don't have that technical background, I think I agree. It's, um, you can still do it. Yeah. Well, and that you can always go back to it. To be honest, that's true. Yeah. And bring your what you know about data because nowadays I do think everything's about data. Just grab what you learn and then go back to the field that you you actually want to make contribution with. What you know about data science, and I think that's a great thing. Like music, we did have a research uh, scientist here at this program who oh. do AI for music that okay. the AI would write music yeah. or or you know you uh, take away a piece from a song and you make AI to write that piece oh, okay. to fill in there and to see how much it makes sense. And uh, recently, uh, you might have heard this AI for arts, right? Mm -hmm. Like you use AI to, to, to draw, yep. to paint, and won some kind of a big deal award. Did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there are a lot of possibilities of compi combining skills uh, with uh, your hobbies or what you're interested in. Right. Yeah, yeah it's definitely... Um, I hate saying this kind of thing. It just sounds cliche, but like I think you know the future AI data. I think it's going to be around for a real long time. I do think there's going to be a lot, a lot of opportunities in this field for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I believe so. All right. Well, I think that's it. So yeah, thanks, Shan. Really nice uh, getting to talk to you, get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, thank you again for having me. Yeah. Uh, no, after the
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing more conversations, please subscribe. If you want to learn more about the Data Institute or the Master of Science and Data Science program at the University of San Francisco, you can find everything you need to know through the USF website at usfca.edu. You can also find us on all the socials. For more about me, your host, you can go to robertclements.org.